14. Anybody know John 14? How does that start out? 14.1. Let's take our Bibles and turn there. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. I think it's very important that we see a distinction there. Although God is, or Jesus is God, there still is a three persons there. We have to understand that. Um, we're going to see that this morning more than ever. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you through the very words of every single bridegroom within the ancient Jewish mansion. Every one of them. They would betroth the bride and, and they would give gifts and promises. Um, uh, and, and then the bridegroom would tell the wife, which is true now, they're not just a bride, they're a wife, they're betrothed, it's, it's a marriage, it's not just an engagement. Um, this is a, it is an absolute marriage, it's, it's uh, solidified in the covenant. That is part of the covenant. He would leave for up to a year, go to his father's house, literally, and prepare a bedroom for them. And it's interesting, but it wasn't until the father said, okay, everything is prepared, you're ready to go get your bride, your wife, did he come back. Every one of those aspects are found not only in multiple texts in Scripture, but we can see them in eschatological issues also. But the words, I go to prepare a place for you, is absolute wedding talk. It's wedding communication. And it's, it's just, it's awesome. Were there others that you thought were quite exciting? None? <laughs> yes. Okay. Right. The dove's eyes is a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. The Gamans weren't here, so you have, I have to express what... Do you know what dove's eyes are? Okay, if we look at Solomon, Solomon looks at the bride, his, his, his bride, and says, you have dove's eyes. That's where we get that from, is Solomon. And what does that even mean? Well, what it is, is doves cannot see peripherally. They are the only bird that can see only directly in front of them. So when Solomon says, you have dove's eyes, it means I only have eyes for you if you want to use an emotional uh, lingo. Or my focus is absolutely towards you and you alone. That's it. There is nobody else. The church would do well to obey that truth. Amen? Isn't that exciting? I was just, and again, another flooring term. Any other ones? 
How many remember the hoopah? What is the hoopah? The hoopah is when husband and wife are together for the first time for seven days and then comes back for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, pretty cool. The big party. <clears throat> Any other ones? I'll ask you as we continue through this. There's like 113 slides. So there is much in here in the text. And we're not going to go through them. I'm just going to quickly go through them. Um, so he brought ornaments and jewels to give to her. He bedrothed her as one husband. Um, <clears throat> married to Christ. Married to do what? Bear fruit. That is today. By the way, there was a difference between back then and today. Today we are, and this is what we're going to talk about this morning when we get down to like slide 78. Um, it was, uh, we are the bride of Christ. That bride of Christ was never talked about in the Old Testament at all. It was the Jewish people were married to Jehovah. Married to God, the Father. And, and we'll see why that's a big deal. In ancient Israel's brides were usually chosen by the father of the bridegroom. Amen? Is that not true today? The same truth is there today. Um, you have been chosen to be the bride of Christ. Many times the bride had not seen her husband-to-be. Let me ask you, when's the last time you saw Jesus? You see the, you see the importance of all this. By the time we get to the end of it, you will see the importance. How many see some of the importance already? Okay, so we, so didn't see, we don't see Christ either, but by faith we, uh, we love Him because why? Because He first loved us. That's the only way we can love Him. We cannot love Christ apart from Him loving us. It is an impossibility. Why? Because of what we've been dealing with in CE hour, we are an absolute depraved humanity. We not only can't love God, we don't want to love God. We're at enmity towards God. He chose us because He loved us. He loves us because He has chosen to love us. He selected us. Uh, his selection of us is, and, and if you think about this practically, even your wife or your husband chose you. And, and to be honest with you, if we are humble people that look, in, look to reality, what a blessing that they chose us. Is that not true? Because who we are are wretched sinners, depraved. And by rights, we don't deserve anyone's love, let alone God's love. And it should just turn our focus back on Him and say, Lord, why did you do this? I am so thankful, so humble. Brides in Bible times were purchased. This is a big thing we'll be talking about today. They're purchased, um, and, and they're, they're, they're considered at that time property. Matter of fact, they were considered by the, the, um, the secular world at that time as just as slaves, basically Baby producers, that is it. 
nothing else. That's all they were understood as. When God put His laws in, that changed. They weren't just merely properties. Amen? Although, although they were, in a practical sense, in that they were purchased with a price. Does that make sense? By the way, purchased with a price? You've been brought with a price, therefore glorify God in your bodies. These are all verses that show those principles, by the way. Christ paid the greatest price for his bide when proclaiming, it is finished. The price was then paid. How valuable are we to him? If that what is what he willingly and desiringly did for us, how valuable are you to him? In Bible times, the, the wife belonged to her husband. We will see, remember, you are not your own passage. Uh, that'll be important coming up also. You've been brought with a price. <clears throat> and because we are not our own, and we're going to see this, we're going to be reading Exodus chapter 19 today. Uh, I'm sorry. Ezekiel chapter 19 today. And it is fantastic about what is God is telling Israel. Why he is so upset. Why he is so angry. Why he has chosen another too, by the way. The betrothal contained promises for us from our soon coming bridegroom. They didn't just let the bride hanging. Although for us it's been almost 2,000 years. Are we anticipating that big party with Christ? The marriage supper with Him. The bride also had to consent. It wasn't just me man, you woman, I'm going to grab you by the hair and pull you out of the cave. Right? That's not what it was. The bride consented. In Genesis chapter 24, we have Rebecca herself. They asked her, will you go? Will you go? And she says, what? I will. Matter of fact, Israel does the same thing. We're going to see today. It's pretty phenomenal. God comes down with the, at Mount Sinai. He comes down with all the laws. And, and, and in the end, you know all the story. And we're not going to go through all that. But in the end, guess what they say? What do you say at the marriage vows in front of people that says you're married what are the two words you say i do they don't say i do they say we do <laughs> they literally say that at the end when when god marries israel we do the same thing we do the exact same thing if we confess with our mouth jesus is lord by the way, it says, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. Not should be. He is. Amen? God does not just save us from the penalty of sin. 
He saves us from the power of sin so that we do not, we, we hate our sin and we do our best not to sin. Amen. Because our desire is His, not our own anymore. Because we're bought with a price. Do you see how all these things are fitting in? I do. When we said I do, what do we believe? We believe that, we, that He raised Him from the dead. We repented of our sin and had a desire to, that's not a new spelling of turn, it's just a mistake. Turn from it. Turn from our sin, amen? We don't even know what those all are. Let me ask you, have you learned of a new sin in your life this week? We don't even know what all those are, but as we learn about them, as we draw closer to Christ, as we are embracing His Word, as we are being saturated in the truth, our heart becomes convicted, our being is, 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 is troubled because we're doing something or saying something or thinking something that is against the very person we absolutely love and it kills us. Say, well, I, that's never happened to me. We need to mature in the faith and it will. Or you need to be in the faith, one of the two. Give you my heart and my whole life. How do we do that? By the way, does God say He just kind of rents you when He desires it? How many understand that? Oh, time for church. Oh, got to be there. What about Monday? Well, there's nothing spiritual going on then. What about Tuesday? All the way to Saturday. Then here comes Sunday. Oh, I'll be with God again. That's not Christianity. That's Hollywood. You're playing the part one day a week. For what? Pleasing men? I don't know. I can't answer that motivated quote. But we, He is ours. He has purchased us. We are His. Absolutely His. Trust Him with your future. I will tell you, this, this hits me deeply, trusting Him with my future. You ever been tired? Worn out? Exhausted? Am I hitting any true statements? Some of you are sleeping, that's why I can tell. You're exhausted. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. COVID is making a mess of our everything that we have understood in our normal life. How many would agree with that? You get to work. You've got to do three jobs because two guys are out. You've got to do this because this guy, and guys are burning out. And, and, and all of us have felt that pressure. And praise the Lord, Christians work. Amen. By the way, man, I, I just spent, I don't know, six, I don't know how many hours this last week at Central Seminary's library just scoping a bunch of things about bivocationality and, and work. And one of the things I'm learning is you cannot, and we talked about this last week, you cannot separate worship from work. It's not possible. Whatever you worship, you will work for. Absolutely true. And all of us get frustrated with COVID and, 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 and politics. Ugh. 
Both of those together make a mess, by the way. Because then there's no truth. You're, you don't know where the truth is. Because it's always politically motivated and it just it's infuriating. And, and you want to just give up. Here's the deal. I have felt that way. But that's because I've lost sight of my main purpose in life. My main purpose in life is just to be faithful to God and His Word. Hey, you got to get that kitchen in tomorrow. Okay, I'm just going to be faithful. I might not get it done, but I'm just going to be faithful. And that goes with every aspect. Do you know that a church cannot function without faithfulness? This morning I was just totally bummed because when we got home, <clears throat> so we got up this yesterday morning at 2, 2.35 in the morning because someone chose to get a 4 o'clock departure from Minneapolis. <sighs> and so, literally, 2.30 in the morning, get up, take her to, take them, take them, take, yeah, I don't need to give you anything else, to the airport, get home, and then, I can't sleep. I get outside and it's warm outside, 12 degrees. It's like a heat wave. And drive all the way home. Get home at, I don't know, 6 o'clock, something like that. But I am shot. Absolutely shot. And it's warm. And I get home and I'm, I'm, sitting, I'm sitting on a chair and I'm just... I, I can't even read anymore. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm bummed. But you know what? We look at results and want all these things happening and get them all done. What God desires is just faithfulness to Him and He will help. Amen? Faithfulness to Him. <clears throat> As I was reading all this work thing, they, they were, they were um, talking about how that, how many of you know the cultivate and, and uh, keep the garden? Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. We talked about this Wednesday night. The Bible says God created man and placed him in the garden to till and keep it, or to cultivate it in some versions and keep it. In other words, work was designed by God before the fall. Work is not a sin. Matter of fact, to not work is a sin. Because the very purpose you were put in here is to work. Work, that word work, cultivate, is the idea of serve. Matter of fact, 80% of all Scripture, when it says cultivate or work or some kind of work, the term is to serve. It's the same word used as Levitical priests in the temple. They came out, matter of fact, if you were going to use the same um, idea in Genesis in the Levitical priesthood, you would say they got into the, they were in, went into the tabernacle to cultivate it. How many understand that? 
The idea is they're to serve there. Could you imagine what would happen in Israel if they were there during Pentecost and COVID hit? How many of them would not come? Who's going to do what? How are you going to get these done? We are a body of believers brought together to serve. We're not here to sit and just soak it in. Amen? How many understand this? Sunday comes, you come here to serve. How are you serving one another? One of the greatest responsibilities, it is. The reason we gather together is to serve each other. That's the reason. This whole idea of work plays so much into this. That's why church does not happen virtually. How many understand that? And I'm not just going on this rampage, whatever. I'm just being honest. I'm not condemning or anything. Here's the deal. Church is only can be done according to God's purpose face to face. Why? Sermon is super important. Singing together is super important. Taking Breaking bread together is super important. But the very reason why we're face to face is to serve one another. Do we understand that? That's church. That's assembling of ourselves together. It's serving each other. Trust you with my future. Trust Him how? Just be faithful. Just be faithful to what God has gifted you with and God will bless. I'm telling you. Be faithful to that. Sometimes it's hard even as a child or as a husband and a wife. How can I be faithful? We've got to be faithful to what God's called us to. By the way, I'm doing my dissertation on bivocationality. How many understand that? It's actually a lie. It's not bivocational. Do you know that each and every one of you are multivocational just as I am? Because you've been called to be a mom, a dad, a husband, a wife, maybe a clerk, maybe a, a student, maybe a son, maybe a daughter. You see the multifaceted things God has called you to do. Faithfully, faithfully do them. Faithfully serve God. By the way, by serving others, you're serving God. That is the point. Trust you with my future. I'm telling you that because I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm shot. I am beyond shot. But it doesn't matter. All that matters is to faithfully teach and preach the Word. Amen? That's all that matters. And I'm going to do everything I can to be faithful. And God will give us strength. Believe that Jesus' death atoned for my sin. Amen? Receive His total forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. Receive your love and my salvation today. A cup of wine was shared to seal the marriage covenant. Likewise, also you took the cup after saying, and by the way, we have been given the first cup of wine. Have we not? 
We are betrothed to Christ. We are not there with Him yet, but we are betrothed to Him. We are married to Him. Amen. But eventually we will take the second cup. And I think it was very cool. That was one of the big things. Um, the second cup that Jesus talked about. He Himself in Mark chapter 13. He says... Um, We'll read it here. Bride will one day soon drink a cup with Jesus in person at the second part of the marriage ceremony. He is gone preparing a place for us and the marriage supper. Jesus mentions this cup in Matthew chapter 26. I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Even today, Jewish weddings have two different cups. One's a glass cup. One is a silver cup. One is temporary, if you will. The betrothal period is only temporary. The one, the silver one, is everlasting. Amen? We drank of that cup symbolically when we take communion. That's why Jesus, this is the new covenant, right? The cup of the new covenant. How many find these things fascinating? I'm trying to go through them quick so we can not only remember, but get to the end of it this morning. Betrothal included the giving of gifts by the bridegroom. We see that in Genesis 24. Uh, we see that in 2 Corinthians as Christians. He gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not, not just spiritual gifts, but the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Brides in ancient Israel experienced a mikvah prior to their wedding. That mikvah was symbolic in the cleansing of us before the hoopah. Yeah, people, I'm just waiting for people to put online, are you speaking in tongues? No, this is all Greek and Hebrew. Once the marriage covenant was sealed, the bridegroom in ancient Israel left his beloved bride to go to his father's house to prepare a wedding chamber, a chadar, for her. And that's where we come in John, John chapter 14. Jesus, our heavenly bridegroom, left His bride to prepare a wedding chamber for her. He promised to return for her. And He will. Isn't that exciting? Jesus, our heavenly bridegroom, left His bride to prepare a heavenly chamber for her and promised to return for her. Alright. <clears throat> the Jewish bride was set apart was consecrated, separated unto her bridegroom. Matter of fact, we're going to look at in an Old Testament text today. God tells Israel, now that you've sent, we do. Here's what it is. You do not be around any women. What does that mean? You are totally, or any other men, you are totally consecrated to me. There's nobody else. Same thing with the wedding. The betrothal. It's totally commitment. Total consecration. This is where the dove's eyes came in. Solomon chapter 1, verse 15. A bride in ancient Israel had no idea what day or hour her bridegroom would return to her to take her to the wedding chamber. Why? Just for a second, how did that bride act? Exactly. I would guess that if she had a window in her bedroom, she'd go to that window and look the direction he's coming in every single day. 
because of her love for him. Folks, do we as a church do the same? Well, don't come quite yet. I haven't shot a moose yet. Don't come quite yet. I haven't been to Alaska yet. I'm just giving you my personal testimony type ideas. By the way, I'm not saying that, but I would if that was my flesh. I'm going to get that. The groom himself didn't know when he'd go to claim his bride. Only his father knew. The father was the one who would decide when all was ready for the wedding, when the bridal chamber was complete, when the fullness of time had come. And matter of fact, do we not find that in Mark and in Matthew? The day and the hour knows no one. Not even the angels in heaven. And they're the music players. Nor the son. Not even the bridegroom knows the time. He's the groom. Only the Father does. The second half of the ancient Jewish wedding ceremony of the hoopah is also called the home-taking. And there he's in the bridal room for seven days. I'm not going to tell you what I think that might be, but I think you might get what that might be. <laughs> the seven-day period was also called the week of the bride. It is phenomenal how God has placed all this together. It's almost as if you would think He was sovereign. Come people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself as it were for a little moment until the indignation is past. What I'm doing is comparing these seven days to another seven days, quote unquote. And those seven this earth will experience great and horrific indignation. We're going, to be high, we're going to be behind closed doors with Christ. Amen? What a beautiful thing. <clears throat> Following the seven days in the hoopah or bridal chamber, the bride and the bridegroom in ancient Israel joined their guest, called the children of the bride chamber or the benaha hoopah, for a joyous marriage feast. Revelation chapter 19, 6. I'm not, I'm not going to go through all these. We are going to do this though. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 16. We have gone through many of what the wedding talks about throughout Scripture. Are they fascinating and very instructive? I pray that they are. Ezekiel chapter 16. And Lord willing, I can... This is what we're going to do this morning. That was the introduction and the review because this is probably one of the last times we'll go through this. <laughs> Ezekiel chapter 16. You can follow along as I read. Israel is the wife of Jehovah. I scoured Old Testament. I could not find bride referring to Israel. I couldn't find it. It may be there. I don't know. I did all my searches that I could. Is bride talked about in the New Old Testament? Yes, bride is talked about, but it's always talked about in a real sense, not a metaphorical sense. 
And so it's like the bride was Rebecca, the bride was uh, um, Leah, the bride, you, know, you, you don't understand. Actual people, literal things. But the term wife does refer to Israel. And I will tell you, the term wife doesn't refer to Israel until after they are married. And it's interesting, there's one aspect that comes to fruition. I always struggle with this. I, you know, was that a big deal? Is it not a big deal? I don't know. I, I really can't answer that. But I can tell you, this is what I understand Scripture to say. Um, the wife of Jehovah, that happened after Mount Sinai. They became husband and wife and literally... Something was different about that than what's different today. And we'll talk about that a little bit as we go. But let's read the text and see what the Bible has to say about Israel. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say. Thus says the Lord, by the way, because we are in Ezekiel, what is Ezekiel? What kind of writing is Ezekiel? It is prophetic, correct? That means what's in it is what is in it all prophetic? No. There's historical aspects in it. There's reasons and logical thinking through this that needs to happen. It's not all prophetic. But there's a prophetic reason why they're bringing in historical issues. Please follow this. This is really important. Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your origin and your birth are from the land of Canaanite. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. As for your birth, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were washed with water for cleansing. You were not rubbed with salt or even wrapped in clothes. No eye looked with pity on you to do any of these things to you, to have compassion on you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for you were abhorred on the day you were born. When I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you while you were in your blood, live. I made you numerous like plants of the field. Then you grew up, became tall, and reached the age of fine ornaments. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. How many understand everything that was just talked about in that text? You're kidding? <laughs> There's a lot there. We're going to keep going because this is. Uh, there's a reason. You'll see. Then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at the time for love. So I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you so that you became mine. What happened right here in this text? Israel became married to God. Amen? You were mine. That's the whole idea. You were bought with the price. I own you. That's the historical thing. That doesn't nobody likes that term today. I get that. But that's what happened in those cultures. He owned Israel. You became mine, declares the Lord. 
Then I bathed you with water. I washed off the blood from you and anointed you with oil. I also clothed you with embroidered cloth and put sandals of of skin on your feet. And I wrapped you with fine linen and covered you with silk. He took care of her. Did he not? I adorned you with ornaments. I put bracelets on your hand and necklace around your neck. What's going on here? We, I just gave you all... What I just gave you was a lot of... One of the things was the brides were given... What? Gifts. What were those gifts? Bracelets, ornaments on your hands, necklaces around your neck. This is God adorning His bride. Amen. It's God adorning His wife. I also put in... Now this is kind of weird. I also put a ring in your nostril. Earrings in your ears. And a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your dress was of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey, and oil. So you were exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. Let me ask you, who's this talking about? Israel. When would you say in historical Israel did this happen? The dimes of Solomon. Absolutely. Then your fame went forth among the nations and account of your beauty, for it was perfect because my splendor which I bestowed to you. Why was she perfect? Why was she beautiful? Why was she over all? Why? God! It was her husband. It was God the Father. It was my splendor which I bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. Let me ask you, are we much better than Israel was during the time of Solomon? Financially, ornamentally, rulingly. How many understand the question? Absolutely. They never knew of leather coats as you have them today or souls that you have today the things that you have you have we have been greatly blessed by god has america let's let's put it that way has america been greatly blessed by god absolutely at that time in history so had israel they have climbed the ladder in their mind to what they should be in reality god just blessed them to where they should be. It was all God. Here's what he says. But you trusted in your beauty and played the harlot because of your fame. You poured out your harlotries on every passerby who might be willing. You took some of your clothes made for yourself high places of various colors and played the harlot on them which should never come about nor happen. You also took your beautiful jewels made of my gold and my silver which I had given you and made for yourself male images that you might play the harlot with them. 
Then you took your embroidered cloth and covered them and offered my oil and my incense before them. Do you see what's going on here? This is God the husband talking to his wife Israel and how she was an absolute harlot, an adulterer, wicked, horrible. Why did that happen? Because she thought she had gotten to where she was by pulling up her boots by herself. How many understand that? This is my work. God's making it abundantly clear, no it wasn't. You're taking my oil and my incense before them. Also, my bread which I gave you, fine flour, oil, and honey which I fed you, you would offer before them for a soothing aroma. So it, <laughs> so it happened, declares the Lord. Moreover, you took my sons and daughters whom you had borne to me and sacrificed them to idols to be devoured. Were your harlotries so small a matter, you slaughtered my children and offered them up to idols by causing them to pass through the fire. Besides all your abominations and harlotries, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare and squirming in your blood. In other words, you were without God, without hope. All by yourself. Then it came about after your wickedness, woe to you, woe to you, declares the God, Lord God, that you built yourself a shrine and made yourself a high place in every square. You built yourself a high place at the top of every street and made your beauty abominable. And you spread your legs to every passerby to multiply your harlotry. It's quite graphic what's going on here. You also played the harlot with the Egyptians, your lustful neighbors, and multiplied your harlotry to make me angry. Behold, now I have stretched out my hand against you and diminished your nation, and I delivered you up to the desire of those who hate you, the daughters of the Philistines who were ashamed of your lewd conduct. The daughters of the Philistines were ashamed of your lewd conduct. In other words, even the world thinks you're nuts and wicked. Moreover, you played the harlot with the Assyrians because you were not satisfied. You played the harlot with them and still are not satisfied. You also multiplied your harlotry with the land of the merchants, Chaldea. Yet even with this, you were not satisfied. How languishing is your heart, declares the Lord God. While you do all these things, the action of bold-faced harlot, when you built your shrine at the beginning of every street and made your high place in every square in disdain, disdaining money, you were not like a harlot. You adulterous wife. You adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. Men give gifts to all harlots, but you give your gift to all your lovers to bribe them to come to you from every direction for your harlotries. Thus you are different from those women 
You are different from those women in your harlotries in that no one plays the harlot as you do. Because you give money. No money is given to you. Thus, you are different. In other words, you're crazy. You're crazy. You have taken depravity to another level almost, you will, if you will, in your mind. Therefore, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because your lewdness was poured out, your nakedness uncovered through your harlotries with your lovers and with all your detestable idols, because of the blood of your sons which you gave to idols, therefore, behold, I will gather all your lovers with whom you take pleasure, even all those whom you loved and all those whom you hated. I will gather them against you from every direction and expose your nakedness to them that they may see all your nakedness. Thus, I will judge you like women who committed adultery or shed blood are judged. How are they just? How are they judged? Stoned. I will also give you into the hands of your lovers, and they will tear down your shrines, demolish your high places, strip you of your clothing, take away your jewels, and will leave you naked and bare. They will incite a crowd against you. They will stone you and cut you to pieces with their swords. They will burn your houses with fire and execute judgments on you in the sight of many women. Then I will stop you from playing the harlot and you will also no longer pay your lovers. So I will calm my fury against you and my jealousy will depart from you and I will be pacified and angry no more. Because you have not remembered the days of your youth, but have enraged me by all these things. Behold, I in turn will bring your conduct down on your head, declares the Lord God, so that you will not commit this lewdness on top of all your other abominations. Behold, everyone who quotes Proverbs will quote this Proverbs concerning you, saying, like mother, like daughter. You are the daughter of your mother who loathed her husband and children. You are also the sister of your sisters who loathed their husbands and children. Your mother was a Hittite. Your father was an Amorite. Now your oldest sister is a Samaria who lives north of you with her daughters. And your youngest sister who lives south of you is Sodom with her daughters. Yet you have not merely walked in their ways or done according to their abominations. But as if that were too little, you acted more corruptly in all your conduct than they. As I live, declared the Lord God, Sodom, your sisters and her daughters, have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease, but she did not help the poor and the needy. Thus they were haughty and committed 
abominations before me. Therefore, I removed them when I saw it. Furthermore, Samaria did not commit half of your sins. For you have multiplied your abominations more than they. Thus you have made your sisters appear righteous by all your abominations which you have committed. Also bear your disgrace. Are you, are you seeing similarities? Are you seeing what God's doing here? I'll just give you one. You've made your sister appear righteous by all your abominations which you've committed. In other words, she looks righteous compared to you. There was a day and age when America was sending out missionaries. I will tell you, today is the day the world needs to send missionaries to the, world, to, to the United States. Are you following this? Now, I'm not saying Israel is the United States. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying this is the wife of Jehovah. We are the bride of Christ. Jesus Christ could be saying the exact same thing to us. And we'll get to that verse in just a second. Because of your sins in which you acted more abominably than they, they are more in the right than you. Yes, be also ashamed and bear your disgrace in that you made your sisters appear righteous. Nevertheless, I will restore their captivity. The captivity of Sodom and her daughters, the captivity of Samaria and her daughters, and along with them your own captivity, in order that you may bear your humiliation and feel ashamed for all that you have done when you become a consolation to them. Your sister Sodom with her daughters and Samaria with her daughters will return to their former state, and you with your daughters will return to your former state. As the name of your sister Sodom was not heard from your lips in your day of pride before your wickedness was uncovered, so now you have become the reproach of the daughters of Edom. By the way, that's a, that's a slam, as slam could be. And of all around her and of the daughters of the Philistines, those surrounding you will despise you. You have borne the penalty of your lewdness and abomination, the Lord declares. For thus saith the Lord, I will also do with you as you have done. You who have despised the oath by breaking the covenant. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. So we are having a transition here. How many see this? He's just said, listen, this is, you are my wife, and you have played the harlot, and I will destroy you. I will hinder you, but I will bring you back. How many understand that? It's exactly what I will remember my covenant with you in the days and the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. There's a day coming when we will have holy matrimony again. And then you'll remember your ways and be ashamed. When you receive your sisters, both your older and your younger, and I will give them to you as daughters, not because of your covenant. Thus I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, so that you will remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth anymore because of your humiliation. When I have forgiven you for all that you have done 
the Lord God declares. Let me ask you, is that a difficult passage to listen to between a husband and a wife? Does it not ring true in our own era, in our own culture, as we the church have played the harlot? People like this, let's bring it into the church. People like that, let's bring it into the church. We are a selfish people, just like Israel was. Why was all that written? What was the purpose of that? Was the, we, have a, we have a choice. We can say, okay, the purpose of that was, see, Israel and the church are really the same and equate them together. Or is it what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10? For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea. And all were baptized in Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink. Then they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God did not, was not well pleased. For they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened. Why? Why did I just read all of what happened to Israel in Ezekiel chapter 16? And it is a horrendous story. Very vivid. Very disgusting. Very wrathful. Because that wife played the harlot with everyone. And God was angry. And God was going to get his revenge. And then he'll be. Uh, placated, if you will. If he'll, he'll be satisfied. Does that make sense? He says, all that was done for what? Does that mean, you know, that's what we were as a church is Israel. But now we've grown up and we're not that way anymore. The church and Israel are the same. Is that what it's saying? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, this verse tells us that's absolutely untrue. The reason that was written in there in the Old Testament is not only for Israel's sake. Although it's important Israel realize where they come from. Amen. It's written for our sakes. It's written for, the Bible says, these things happened as what? Examples for whom? Alright, I'm not hearing anybody, so here we go. You get this? Those things happen for an example to us. Who is another bride to another man? Jesus Christ. Another person. We'll put it that way. Jesus Christ. Amen? The bride of Christ. They are an example for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nevertheless, nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 of them fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them 
I, I, we, you can't miss this. As an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. This is so we won't go down that same stinking road. But I'm afraid we have. America is becoming secularized every moment and every second worse than it's ever been. Christians are embracing wickedness in every aspect. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Not me, Pastor. We're doing all right. We are not doing all right. No temptation. Listen, he, take heed. If you don't realize that you have the same body, the same flesh that Israel had, the same tendencies that Israel had, we too can fall. We too play the harlot. Take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, who will not allow you be, to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. Remember I said, all that God wants is for us to be faithful. Be faithful to Him. Every wedding, every single wedding, it should be preached faithfulness. Faithfulness. That's all God asks for. God is faithful. He will provide a way escape. Therefore, beloved, what? What's the word? That term there, I, I am so sick of this. I am so sick of this. Oh, you obey the... That's legalist. What does flee mean? From what I see in our culture today in Christendom, flee means to embrace the world the best you can to win them. Let me ask you, is that fleeing? It's not at all fleeing idolatry. Folks, flee from idolatry means get out of Dodge. Get as far away. Listen, if you cannot, if you have got a problem with pornography, chuck the stinking phone. Oh, really? I one person agree. Let me tell you, your phone's not more important than your wife or your God. 
we are flesh. We have problems. And when we have those problems, we need to run away from them, not embrace them, or think we can handle it. Because we can't. If, the, if you can't handle the internet, shut it off. If you can't shut it off, just come and ask me, I've got a pruner. How many understand what that means? I can go out there, snip, there goes the wire. Now you try to put those thousand wires together. Now don't ask Mr. Vredenberg. He probably can. <laughs> but do we get it? These things are killing us. Flee from idolatry. In essence, what are we talking about? Let's, let's just get all this together. How many, how many see this issue by reading Ezekiel 16? It's like, wow! All you have to do is look at the church today and say the same thing. Wow! God is compared to a husband, Israel, to his, as his wife. Isaiah chapter 23. Now, these are just verses for you to look at. You can take your time sometime and do that. We don't have time today for all of this. And I want to finish this so we can continue exegeting Matthew 25. But you can write these verses down so you have them. Some of them are future. Some of them are past. None of them are, are right now. But anyways, you have to make that distinction as you read them. God selected Israel as His wife. God purchased Israel, His wife. Israel gave her consent to be married. Exodus chapter 19, verse 7 and 8. Let's look there. I want to show you that. This is awesome. Matter of, uh, maybe I already did, but I'm just... let's go there. Exodus chapter uh, 19, 7 and 8. I love this verse because I, it's an important verse. And um, it, it's part of a project that I'm working on. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's, it's, that's part of this. 19, 7 and 8. The Bible says this, so Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words what the Lord had commanded him. In other words, I'm coming down. He's coming down. He's saying, okay, this is what God says He desires. And what does... In other words, He asked you, will you covenant with me? What did He say in verse 8? What did they say? All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, What? We will do. We will do. That was the I do at the marriage ceremony. I agree. Yes. And by the way, all those covenants were, were fortified by if you break this covenant. Remember the goat that I just cut in half and walked between? That will happen to you. It's, oh, it's so... Israel gave her consent to be married. Israel was consecrated by the Lord. God entered into covenant with Israel and she became His. Does that mean... Is that a, 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 a wedding word? Became His? Absolutely. He was jealous over His wife Israel. God as bridegroom came to the hoopah first. 
By the way, and we'll get to all this important stuff later. God presented Israel with a Kadabah with Mount Sinai. Israel was given bridal gifts. God and Israel had a marriage supper. Israel was not faithful to the marriage covenant. God promised Israel a new marriage covenant. Israel will return to her husband in the later days. Now, this new marriage covenant, that's what's it's important. God promised Israel a new marriage covenant. That is why people look at it and say the new covenant involves the church, therefore the church replaces Israel. How many logically can see where they get that? I'm not saying it's right, but you logically can get there. The issue is, Israel will be saved. Romans chapter 11, different than the church. That it's differentiated in Romans chapters 9 through 11. That's why we're here. That's why we're trying to understand what that all means. In the later days, Israel will return to her husband. And we go to the book of Hosea. Why do we do that? This is why marriage is so vital, especially as Christians. The book of Hosea, and we might even be going there when we teach our next Old Testament text. But in the book of Hosea, Hosea is a prophet of God, is he not? And he is married to a prostitute who continues her harlotry. And God continues to tell him, be faithful, be faithful, be faithful. Exodus chapter 19. We already read this, so we don't need to go through this. But in the third month of the sons, Moses went up to the Lord. The Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have, been, have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings, how I brought you to myself. By the way, brought you to myself. That's marriage lingo. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my what? My own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and holy nation. By the way, we also as the church have been called a kingdom of priests in the book of Hebrews. So we do share in that. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people. This is what we read. So before the text that we just read, it's obvious he's talking about marrying, marrying Israel. Is it not? Yes. You're become my possession. You will be mine. And they say, and this is so big, and they say, and the Lord said, Behold, I come in a thick cloud. This is important. So that the people may hear when I speak with, with you and may also believe in you forever. That's a big deal because I think this is the key to what, why Israel and the church are not the same. I believe this is the key. Then Moses told the word of the... And what did he say? I will come to you how 
What is he talking about? A thick cloud. What, what is he talking about? Here it is. Israel was and will return to be God's wife. Amen? Matter of fact, the Bible says in Acts, return and repent. That is so cool because what that's talking about is Israel, you must return to me. Gentiles, you must repent and come to my son. The church is the bride of Christ. The wife and bride are different words. I'm giving you some facts about these things. The wife and bride are different words. If you look at wife and you do a Bible search on it, they're different words. They're not even in the same definition, by the way. The only thing similar to them is there are ladies. That's it. The difference seems to be being with the husband. That's the difference. You see, when they said, I do, guess what God did? He dwelt with them. How did He dwell with them? Let me ask you, when Israel said, we do, God dwelt with them how? How do we know God was there? We just read part of it, not all of it. Okay, He covenanted with them, He told them He was, and then how did He physically, how was He physically there? A cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God was with them. The difference, now listen, I am not a theologian. But from what I can read and what I understand and from what all we've gone through in the last three weeks of studying and, and, and discussing, the difference seems to be being with the husband. And Israel was. And he just said so in the last text we just wrote, read, read. Israel covenanted and cohabited with God. That's, that's a reality. The church covenanted and anticipates the cohabitation with Christ. Amen? Do you see this? There's the difference. There's what's different between I guess that's the last slide I have. But that's the difference between them. But I will tell you this. Therefore, therefore, this is another reason we do not believe Israel and the church are the same. They are distinct brides. One is the wife of Jehovah. The other is the bride of Christ. One was with her husband and the tabernacle. One anticipates the future to be with Him at the rapture and forever be with Him. That's what's different. But I will tell you, that's a, that's a beautiful thing, by the way. But I'll tell you this. We read and took most of our time reading Ezekiel chapter 16. Because According to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which is the Bible, the reason God wrote that nasty, harlot, sexual, overtone stuff is because the church is going to be doing the same thing. And frankly, is. 
And Israel was an example for the church. They are not the same as the church. It's an example. And I feel sick. Because you look at Israel's history, and it ain't very pretty. Started with Babylon, then Assyria, then Rome, then Islam. I think Jerusalem was conquered hundreds of times. Then you get into our modern world, you have obviously Germany. Even today, they have not learned. Jerusalem is considered one of the most secular cities in all the world. Why? Because they enjoy harlotizing. Everything is more important than God. Their husband. I will tell you, the church is not far behind of what's going to happen, of what we saw happen to Israel. During the tribulation, those that are coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, it will be like Nazism. They will be after them to slaughter them. The Bible says that in the middle of the tribulation, there are thousands, can't even number the saints that are slaughtered for the cause of Christ at, during the tribulation. Unbelievable. Why? We are not of this world. That's why. We are simply in it to be a light in the darkness. If the light, if the white becomes gray, the darkness isn't so dark. Do you understand that? We are the. Listen, the light doesn't, or the darkness does not like the light. You can watch it run as the sun comes up. Can you not? It hates it. The world will hate you but only if it is light. You can wake up some days and it's foggy and terrible and, and hey, you, can't all, all, you, you can hardly tell the difference between the light and the dark. I don't know how much difference we can see between the church and Israel today, spiritually speaking. I pray that those words in Ezekiel chapter 16 will ring true in our heart to realize if God's wife acts like that, what is the bride of Christ doing differently and learning from the examples not to do for His glory, for His joy. All right. We are done this evening, this morning. Let me ask you, do you have any questions? How many learned something?
from this. So it's a big deal. The marriage themes running through Scripture open our eyes to what really matters and what Christ is doing. They give us clues, insights, and I pray it will change our lives because all of our lives need changing. Amen? All right. Let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Dear Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. And dear God, I pray as we simply read most of the day about how, God, Father, Your wife has acted and how repulsed in our hearts we are. How could they ever do that? That's disgusting. It's gross. It's sick. The reason we realize because of Your New Covenant and New Testament that You wrote all those disgusting things to help us realize our need to be on guard. Our need to not follow after the example You have placed before us in real life with Your wife. So that, dear Lord, Your Son, Jesus Christ, when they have their marriage supper of His betrothed one, the church, it will be a spotless, clean, beautiful marriage supper. The feast of all feasts because of the position and as you are sanctifying them, the practice of that bride. I pray that that practice will exemplify the position that we have in you. Dear God, please, please cleanse us and use us to be the bright, shining light in this dark, horrendous world. For your glory and honor we pray. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.